and we're live with our 160th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined with my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, how are you? No, I just, uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. That's not how I start things out. Apparently that's what we're doing today, Ken, because we're just all over the board. So, um, welcome back. Um, 160 episodes feels kind of like a, a milestone, right? I, I don't know. Uh, Ken and I were talking stone. before the show a little bit about how, like how we've been stressed lately, right? Just like the stresses of work family, life in general. Um, and I know a couple of years ago I did a, you know, this time of year is always tough, right? Like uh, my, my wife always refers to it as the Januaries. Um, just, you know, stress, cold, being uh, stuck indoors, right? Especially in a, you know, in a cold climate, cold desert climate that I live in, um, that, like, we, we, we have a tendency and, you know, Ken and I were talking about this, like, you know, uh, our personalities, we have a tendency to say yes to a whole lot of things and then overwhelm ourselves, right? Uh, just with everything that's going on. So uh, a couple of years ago, I did it, you know, this time of year as well, I did a, a Twitter just poll and was asking people what they did to keep themselves sane in these times and in, in these sorts of situations, right? Um, and I know one of the things is kind of setting those boundaries and being able to say no to stuff that isn't I, I guess, critical to your, you know, career or to your mental health, right? Like having some sort of boundaries is always important. Having some sort of physical outlet, um, whether that's, you know, running, biking, jujitsu, like, you know, something that you're doing personally that's there. Um, but then I wonder, Ken, like, what, what else do you do? Like, how do you get out of the, and I know, you, like you were talking about it just recently, because, you, you know, things have been pretty busy for you. Like, how do you level set when you get to that point when you feel like you're getting overwhelmed what is it that you do well i guess probably also just identifying that point for me like when i know that i withdraw and don't have communication with my friends as much as possible and that occurs month over month like that's something yeah. i noted that's probably always the first thing for me is like when i get like less communicative with everyone in my life um usually that's a sign that i'm like distancing uh, to like go heads down, which has been, as you've witnessed the case for several months now. Um, and so first is recognizing that. So not just withdrawing, but also just, um, we were just talking about before and you said we should go live with this conversation, uh, and be honest with folks, uh, about, you know, like, uh, these kind of moments. And then how, like you said, like how to make it like we can make it productive for others by explaining how we get how you you know get out of those situations. But so, like I was telling you, when I wake up first thing in the morning, and I'm like, just immediately like oh, crap. I mean, and I'm getting up earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier, and going to bed later and later and later, and I'm waking up and I'm going to bed and tired all the time, uh, or going to bed and waking up weird schedule, tired and knowing like first thing when I wake up, I got to delve into things those are signs that it's like time to take a step back. So in those <laughs> moments, I don't have the healthiest approach maybe, but it, I start saying no to everything, literally anything yeah. and everything. Like if someone invites me out to, for a thing, I'm just like, Nope. If, uh, you know, it's, can you lend a hand on this project? Nope. If it's, you know, even if it's like, um, it's not even anything work related, it's just like, anything I'll, I'll just start saying no to a lot of things and that's like the first step um but also like i think you know you're you and i are uh old enough to have gone through these cycles and recognize that they are just cycles where you get really busy and knowing that they're temporary and usually like for you and i i know it's both um <clears throat> and it's for a lot of people watching this podcast too you know and uh, probably especially because of this industry like we're all, we're always trying to, most people are always trying to push themselves forward, right? So you're, you're trying to learn more, do more, uh, be a part of more. So usually it's best to see, okay, withdraw from the things that are extraneous and identify the core things like this podcast, the training we give, the after dark episodes. Those are all things I enjoy and make me happy. And so those are the things I'll focus on. Um, 
they're very impactful to me in my life and quality of life. But other things, yeah. so you identify those things and you, you, you remain with those things and then remove the extraneous, but also just know it's a cycle. And if you're pushing yourself, you can uh, recognize that it's just, you know, you've taken on too much, complete those projects and take your foot off the pedal for a little bit and give yourself a breather. And also yeah. be kind to yourself because that's easy to do, man. Like that's easy to say to other people, but it is sometimes very hard to say to yourself, like, I'm good enough. I'm doing enough. It's okay. Like, take a breath. It's yeah. It, I mean, yeah, what about you? Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you do to yeah, like, it, for you yourself? It, it, it's okay to say no. Like, I, I, I'm with you. I don't always have the healthiest response, right? Um, yeah. Sometimes no, you. I'm saying yeah to me, not you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, just in general, right? Like, you know, it, it's very easy to just start ghosting people, right? Which is not fair at all you know, to mm -hmm. people that are reaching out for help or whatever else. Um, but like, I, I think just recognizing and giving yourself permission to say no, that that's one of the hardest things like growing up in a culture or in a, you know, mm -hmm. as a middle child where like it was never, it was always just assumed that you were along for the ride, right? Like you have to make mm -hmm. the best of whatever situation you're in. You're not allowed to say no, right? Like it, it's just kind of, expected that you're the you know, whatever right like you're you're the one that 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 chips in that you dive into whatever project it is and being a high performer is a lot of that right like when those when those opportunities come along you get dependent upon because you are available and you are willing to jump in but at some level that takes a toll on your mental health and like i have found that just planning those breaks in and realizing Hey, you know what? Right. So for us as a, as a consulting firm, fourth quarter is just insane. And it always is. It always has been. Um, and so like, I'm always, I, I'm always very cognizant of what's next, right? Is all right. If fourth quarter is going to be bad, I'm going to build in some time after fourth quarter because I know mentally I'm going to need it just to get interested in work again just to get interested in life again because the stuff that drops on the floor a lot of times is just stuff that's personal to me right like i'm always willing mm -hmm. to sacrifice my mental health when everything else is happening right like yeah. oh i gotta make sure yeah. that you know an employee or whoever else gets the break that they need um but a lot of times that means that equates to well i didn't really get the break that i needed um and so I've, I that's, started to surround myself. That's different for you yeah. because you are, but that is specific to you because you are a leader. You are the person that is ultimately, you know, the buck stops with you. I uh -huh. mean, that's a different, that's, 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 that's more to me. That's harder. That's harder, you know, because you're, you're, like you said, you're trying to take care of the people that work for you, but then that can leave you with like a, yeah, not yeah. enough time for you. And then, but if you, but then, yeah, th then there's some guilt if you don't, you know, do that for those folks. But then, like, some guilt if you don't do it for yourself. It's a trade-off. And it, that's... But I, I, I think it goes back to what you were saying, though, is just being honest with people, right? Like, yeah. you, you, I mean, we've learned that if you surround your, yourself with people that are just takers all the time or, or narcissists, right? It just <laughs> does not end well. Um, and so, like, having people that are on my team that even though they're my employees, they're also, like friends and they're also like they've got my back right i get pushed a lot of times on the same things right uh because you know we have whatever pto or like actually taking a vacation you know i've had you know justin you know who works for me like yeah he oftentimes he'll just be like dude you got to go take you got to take your when are you taking your week off right like you've got to do the same thing otherwise mm -hmm. like we all suffer and them recognizing that has made a huge difference in just my mental health and being able to come back from hard periods. And I, I mean, honestly too, like with, with the pandemic and everything in the last couple of years, right? Like I know, I don't, I don't know anybody that's, that feels like they are their best selves right now. Right. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Nobody. I feel like we're well, getting back I to know, it, yeah. but yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's what I mean. Nobody I know that is like, wow, like this is, this has been the be best year of my life. Right. Like it just, <laughs> 
I think uh, when 2022 came, I sat there and I'm just like, well, what the shit is this going to bring? Like, I don't know what this yeah. is. Like, I used to be optimistic. New year, new me. Now it's just like, you know, uh, crap. I hope it doesn't all fall apart, you know, <laughs> this year. <laughs> so that's yep. not a great yeah. way to start off a year. Not a great outlook. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think we've reality. all done that, though. Like, Yeah, it just needs like, I, yeah, I've, I don't know. Just a reset, right? I, I feel like that's what's helpful to me is just a reset at times and being like, yeah, you know what? It is okay. I am going to go like for that run. I am going to go for that walk. You know, that response can wait a half an hour. That response can wait an hour. No one's, you know, it's not critical. Um, even though it needs to be done, there's there's more time in the day than that. Um there are stupid yeah. things that I can do too, which is chip away at the small. Cause that's the other thing is like when you've got a lot of big projects and then you have small, especially like personal life stuff, like getting a, I know it sounds stupid to people watching this, but like I haven't been able to get a haircut in two weeks cause I've just been too busy. And like, it's the most satisfying thing to just go get a haircut, maybe get an oil change if you need it for your vehicle, whatever, like those personal errands, they start to stack up and just completely yep. adds to the already existing stress and anxiety of like having too many things on your plate. So when you chip away at those small things, I will say, you know, like you said, take 30 minutes, take 45 minutes, chip away at a small thing. Like, even if you don't feel like you have the time, it does help. It, it really does for me. Yeah. Anyways, it helps. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a matter of, uh, you know, managing that list of to do's, right. Like, like, and whether that's work or personal to do's or whatever, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I was, I was going to recommend you just need, you know, your child to grow up a little faster. Having a teenager that you can throw 10, 10 bucks at to go wash the car is an, is an amazing thing. But I started, uh, <laughs> I started um, doing it a little differently. We've started taking money and putting it into uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum for him. So he's got a little oh. account I set up for him uh, that I own. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's I'm like, you know, man, like, but similar idea, right? Uh, but yeah, he's mm-hmm. not old enough to do the, the the big stuff yet. So, but no, I mean, I think wait, it's wait, wait, to wait, talk wait, wait. You're, you're not you're not buying NFTs for him. I don't understand. <laughs> so you you joke, but I actually have looked into some NFTs, especially around metaverse, to uh, because I was like um, looking at. Uh, um, sorry, I got distracted. Uh, thank you to. Uh, the congratulations there on episode 160. Thank you very much for that. Um, no, so like with metaverse and thinking about, you know, how are you going to keep uh, possessions in the metaverse? Like you're presumably going to have digital possessions, right? So how do you, how do you keep those um, tied to your identity and things like that? Um, and, you know, NFTs, even I, though I, right now it's pretty dumb yeah. and, and we, we joke about it and everything. I think NFTs may play a pretty big part in that. And so I've been looking at a few companies that are doing it um, around NFTs and cryptocurrency to sort of just get ahead of that and maybe invest in things that might be useful currencies uh, within the metaverse. Because I, as much as we're going to shit on it and make fun of it, and 100% we will, uh, (laughs) it's actually pretty cool. And uh, (laughs) and we really should invest in things like around that. Yeah, if we... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it all goes digital, right. Like, and, you know, and, and, and to be fair, right. To those companies too. Right. I, you know, we've definitely, I, I mean, I've done, you know, code reviews for NFT provide, you know, NFT platforms and other things like that. Right. Like it's, you know, they're, they're definitely out there there. It's an interesting use case. Um, but yeah, from a, from a pure, like ridiculousness perspective, it's also kind of fun. And I, and I don't under, yeah. like, I, yeah, I, I mean, getting away, we're getting away from the, you know, uh, yeah, how to keep your life sane, but you know, it, it's all about keeping yourself interested too. Right. So, you know, finding something else to maybe concentrate on for a little while is not necessarily a bad thing. So. People may not know it or some, I'm sure some people realize it or have heard us talk about it, but this co- podcast is also a way for us to catch up when our lives are busy. And then, and that's the thing about this podcast is it helps to me. It actually does provide some balance and, forces me to take it that's why this uh this morning when you were talking and i was just like oh man i'm crushed you're like uh well you know you're able to do it and i'm like like we should do it we should do it because this is the reason because even when i like you feel like you should you know time you don't have time you don't have this that and the other take a step back and like 
reconnect with and you know like you're one of my closest friends if not what my closest friends so yeah having these conversations with you uh even though it's like public and all that stuff you know it's 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 uh <laughs> it's helpful so connect no with it definitely is right like yeah and i don't know i can't tell you the number of times too like to that point right just having a discussion like our public discussion here and having that time set aside has re-energized me to be able to just be like all right all right, we can do this, right? Like I, I can get back to it. We're going to be okay. Uh, you know, it doesn't, you know, just reframes kind of the, the importance and the priority of different, of different things. Um, yeah. But I am, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm with you on the, you know, what happens when I get stressed, like ghosting people, disconnecting from friends. That's where I, I mean, having this on the calendar is great, right? But yeah, like, I know. <laughs> not, not, not talking to the people that I have in the past, right? Or doing the things that I love to do because I am too stressed. That's those yeah. are always clear signals to me that it's time to do a reset. So yeah, I've got this Lego sweet ass Batmobile Lego behind oh, you me, haven't done the it classic yet. 1989 one, and I still haven't done it. And that's 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 my ultimate reminder every day that like there's too much going on in life if I can't work on that thing. So. Anyways, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, like, it, it, yeah, I think, I think, uh, well, and so I used to have, um, and I should re really re redo these, uh, set it up again. We just, Chris, and, Chris was traveling a lot. Chris Gates was traveling a lot and I was busy and, but he's like my in-person, you know, contact, like physical contact, see him go out to eat and stuff like that. And so we would do those luncheons. Uh, we haven't done them in a few months, like I said, but for, for years now, we've done like regular lunches so that we can just have somebody else to <clears throat> talk to, to bounce your work off of, to just get reinvigorated about, you know, technology, what you do for a living. Um, like every time I talk to like you or Chris or Rob or anybody, right. Like uh, Mike, whoever about yeah. what we do, I end up inevitably like wanting to do it again and or not do it again, but do more of it again is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Dig back in. Well, and I, I mean, to that point, as soon as we started talking about this, I pulled up. So Chris has that talk that he gave a couple of years ago called hacking your happiness. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's just a great kind of like, Hey, how do you stay sane? Uh, like not, not even, in, you know, necessarily that security related. Um, but how do you stay sane? Um, yeah. How do you, gonna, how do you, I'm going to, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and really, I, yeah, like, to, to premise it, we have good lives in this industry. Like we have, but the, the thing is, is there's a lot of opportunity too for, for like helping people out, contributing to something, doing talks, doing projects. Like there's always opportunity to, um, and, and you know, I, obviously the farther and further into this journey that you get, the more of those opportunities crop up literally all the time. And you, it really becomes a, like a, a cost benefit analysis constantly of like, where, where do I want to? And, but then sometimes it's more of just, you know, you want to do something for a friend or help someone out and you know that you can do it and, you know, they need the help. And, you know, that's a hard one too, to say no to, to friends. And, and anyways, so it, I think it's unique to us, not that it's a stressful and a, you can have positive stress. I think it's a positive stress is what I'm trying to say. It's not like a, Oh God, yeah. poor, poor me type thing. Not that at all. Yeah. It, yeah. It's more of the busy, you know, it's, it's, it's a good stress to have, but there still has yeah. to be an outlet. That, that's all. So good. Well, this? Um, all right. Oh, that's the hacking happiness, the Vimeo thing here. Yeah. Yeah. That Vimeo is that, that's the hacking your happiness. That's Chris's um, presentation. They gave on that. I like, it's always a good reminder. And Chris is an especially, He's an especially good person to talk to about that stuff, right? He's got a good head on his shoulders and I know he's been through it as well. Um, cool. Uh, so otherwise, all right. So getting into some of the stuff that we wanted to talk about, I did want to post up there, Colonel Con code review again, um, actually seeing people in person, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to be doing our, exactly Omaha steaks. So come to the code review course, come take it. Um, first time we've done it in person for a while. Well, yeah, since before the pandemic, we've done some online trainings, uh, but you know, much prefer it in person. There's a lot that goes on, especially the workshop is super fun. That second day 
when we review open source code, like we do at the after dark episodes, but in small groups and, you know, yeah. But Did I mention uh, the cash only um, breakfast place there in Omaha. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. There's like, I think it's cash only like, uh, yeah, man, it's for like $12. You can get everything, just everything on the menu, all the, all the eggs and bacon. All of that. Like, it's so good. Like, you, you'll see. Anyways, I, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. We're going to see some people again. We're going to eat good. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, I'm yep. excited. Yeah, so come join us, right? Like, it, I mean, especially Colonel Con in of itself, the training's before the conference. Um, but the Colonel, it looks like it's going to be a great conference as well. Um, yeah, Adam and those guys, they do, a, they do a good job. So, Come join us. That's all I'm saying. That's all I wanted to say, right? If you're interested in the course, this would be a great place to pick it up and support Colonel Con and and yeah, and we'll go. We'll all go out and have steaks or, or breakfast food, apparently, or both, or both uh, at the same time, one after the other. Downtown Omaha is pretty cool. So the keynote. Uh, did you see that note? There's a keynote speaker. Oh, that was just announced really? for Colonel Con. Sweet. Sorry. Oh, it's Joe Trying Grand. To... Sweet. Nice. Cool. I did. Kingpin. Well, I just pulled it up. So the current keynote there, Joe Grand, um, years ago. So Kingpin, yeah. Like he was the original. Yeah, that's it says there. Yep. Original uh, designer of the electronic badge for DEF CON. So if you were there a few years ago, right, he, it was his badges that were um, being used as, you know, for all of the defcon craziness that happens um as far as like the ctf the badge challenges um fun stuff so that should that should be interesting right yeah for sure cool yeah cool uh, yeah um, i don't i don't know if there's yeah i don't know what else they've announced yeah stay tuned so they haven't announced any other talks um but the, there's other training as well but if you're going to go you should come to our training right if you're going to do training that's all no bias no cool. bias at all no bias, no bias at all. Yeah. Cool. Um, so which of these articles right. do you want to start with? I don't know. Like what? I, I know last week we didn't get to, eh, maybe we'll start with that. I don't know. Yeah. Take your pick. Why don't you take your pick? I'll, uh, I'll make you decide. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You, you gave a, you gave a bunch. I mean, it could be like, <clears throat> I don't, well, let's start with the easy one, the lock files. How about that? The Sem- okay. SEMGREP team's blog post, which I guess I'll copy and paste into here. Do you want to give a summary of that? Basically them talking about lock files and the background and use and all that? Yeah. So, I mean, um, any developers are very familiar with lock files, right? Um, well, they should be, right? Um, but basically a lock file is... Um, so packages, uh, yeah. Oh, so, so there's like a pip file.lock, there's a package json.lock, right? These lock files tell the, uh, the software what versions of third party dependencies are to be used for that package. And specifically, like you can you can specify the hashes that are associated with those packages, so you know you're you're getting exactly what you expect out of the uh, package repositories in order to run your software. So it's almost like a mini software bill of materials, right? Because it not only locks the specific, um, you know, first order dependencies, but subsequent dependencies as well. So if, you know, the examples that you've got there, like if you're depending on, you know, a version of React, let's say um, a specific version, it's going to lock that version, but it's also going to lock the versions underneath it that it depends on. Makes it very easy for, and and this is what most of the um, software composition and analysis tools use to do their uh, vulnerability lookups. They're looking at the lock file because it can see basically everything that the, the, that package depends upon what the specific versions are, and then they just have to match and replace. It makes it fairly easy for that. So, hence the reason that it's so critical for software or for supply chain security, right? Um, if you're not using a lock file, if you don't want to have one that's in there, 
you may not necessarily get what you expect when you run run an application. Um, specifically, some of the the Python, if you're just doing a pip install requirements.txt, right? Like you're going to pull whatever packages are in there, and they may or may not be locked to a specific version. They may be locked to a version greater than X or above X, something like that, um, which could have other problems associated with it realistically. Um, did I give a good enough explanation there, Ken, or am I just rambling? No, I mean, I think it, so to, to add to what you're saying, I think uh, there were a couple points. One, one point that was most interesting to me brought up in this blog post was that there's um, arguments against using lock files, which mm -hmm. I don't, <clears throat> this is interesting to me because I've never seen um, I really have never seen an enterprise or uh, I shouldn't say an enterprise, an organization that's developing, you know, code that and pushing a prod that hasn't locked their dependencies because, you know, there's easily ways for things to, well, I guess there's an argument for if you have enough test coverage, perhaps it'll catch any or most occurrences of breakage if the, the dependency version is, um, you know, uh, has has been updated, has changed, and is obviously different because it's changed. Uh, you you could make the argument, I suppose, that a comprehensive test suite would catch any breakage in CI/CD uh, prior to pushing to prod, maybe. But I I can't imagine. And I guess the argument for that is that you know you're you're always going to have the most up to date packages, which is true. But also, if a vulnerable version like a malicious version is introduced in a newer version um you're gonna also download that so i don't know if that's the the strongest argument for not locking your files truthfully um i would definitely opt for locking to specific versions now in a lot of these packaging okay i should say in the several that i pay attention to closely there is the ability to overwrite previous uh um, so like, you know, say it's version 1.1.1 and you can overwrite it and still have it published as 1.1.1 by um, unpublishing and republishing in some cases. Um, it's not truly often immutable is what I'm trying to say. So even if you're pinned to a specific version, it's not completely impossible to overwrite in some ecosystems the uh, version you're pinned to if I'm an attacker. Uh, but even still, you know, I don't know, man, that seems there's definitely some like tooling too that you can use to, to, to see if there's some differences there and um, popular paid for products that will help out there. Um, so it's just, it doesn't, those arguments seem kind of weird and weak to me. Um, but having said that, like I would actually be interested just because that's my like narrow kind of world view and experience. I would love if somebody had a strong argument for not pinning to packages. Like I would be interested in hearing their opinion for sure. Cause that, that just in that article, it didn't seem like strong enough to me to, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think don't see the reason. Yeah. I, I think a lot of those, right. Like the, yeah, the arguments against them are just come from kind of the fear of the unknown, right. Is, Oh, you'll be stuck on old versions, that first one, right? Uh, like, yes, you're right, but there are instances where you want the old version over the new version. 100%. Um, especially with CICD, right? Like, you know, you're not always getting... But you can upgrade. Yeah, like, you, can, you know, it's like yeah, you can always... Exactly. The difference is you get a choice of it just takes versus... Yeah, it, it just takes discipline, right? Like, it's 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 being forced to be disciplined about upgrading those packages. I think that's, you know, that's where that one runs to. Um, I mean, there are certain tools like dependency graph that certain companies, <coughs> GitHub, uh, yeah. de definitely offer that can tell you you've got uh, outdated dependencies and uh, you can perform an update there um, manually. I'm not sure why you, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like not sure why, I just, I, I don't know, man, I have a hard time. I, I would be interested, though, if somebody has some perspective on that, of not pinning. The other things that are, I think, in that article, um, they talk about, 
Well, they explain lock files, and um, that's let's see. Hold on. Uh, uh, sorry, there's there's something else I can't remember off the top of my head that I saw that was like, hmm, okay. Um, the the ability to lock hashes is interesting, right? So, um, ah, yeah, you know, like he he did some analysis there on which ones you could actually lock to specific hashes. It's, and I know you and I are pretty, you know. Um, like the the package managers that we most often use, like PIP, NPM are probably the two biggest ones. Um, you know, Gradle for Java is one that I've used. You probably haven't as much, but uh, you use Bundler, and it doesn't look like it has the ability to lock hashes right now, which is interesting to me. Right, that, mm -hmm. that's just never gotten to that point. I think we've talked about it before, but these ecosystems also allow you to actually specify where the libraries you're downloading actually come from which is not part yeah. of this article or even really like maybe relevant to the lock file aspect of it, but highly recommended just to reiterate that if you hadn't heard that episode before, definitely, you know, if you're yeah. using something like a, a Ruby gems or NPM or something like that, you can, you can specify which specific libraries uh, are downloading from what specific, because this comes into play again, Seth. I'm, I mean, this is for everybody listening. This comes into play when you you've got multiple package managers you're downloading your libraries from. So maybe you might have some internal uh, libraries you've written, and you might have the rest like you know public. But you need to delineate which ones are private and public. Um, that's a good time to to use those uh, protections those ecosystems offer. Yep. Yeah, I don't know if I have anything else though. Thought any other thoughts? Yeah. I I, no, I'm, my my favorite part of that uh, little table that's there is like the where it's listing out what the package manager is, and you get to C slash C plus plus, and it's just ha ah, with an exclamation point. That's that's my favorite part of that article. <laughs> if you've ever tried to find libraries for C C plus plus, it just makes you yeah made me grin. So yeah, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's like ha no 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 no, it does not exist. Just no, no. Good luck. That's that's basically it. <laughs> cool. Um, so next, let's actually actually I w let's introduce that. Um, there's the, that new uh, open source bug bounty, but um, I was gonna pull it from Port Swigger's Daily Swig um, on the different bug bounty programs that are available, right? Oh, you know, there's an article too. I don't want to forget about. Okay. That I gave Do you, want you me to post this last one? week. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, that's not what I meant. Um, what I mean is there's another article I didn't want to lose track of that I posted, I think, over the weekend or last week, late last week, about um, to you about what I learned from 220 IDOR reports, bug reports. So I oh, just don't want to lose track yeah, of that. Okay. I'll put it into our yeah, private chat and then that way we don't forget. Okay. Yep. Yep. Pop it in there. All right, so this... If we have time, um, that's totally fine. I don't time. care. Just, yeah. yeah. So uh, this article from, you know, Daily Swig. So from Port Swigger goes over um, all of kind of the bug bounty news uh, for the last month, right? And the, the big thing here was the European Commission, right? That they launched another open source focus program dedicated to the different projects that they use and the different um, apps that they use for their public services. Um, and that, you know, falls up like you can, you can find that specifically to right the different applications that they're looking at. And it, this always harkens back to like, I always start go, to go back to our secure code review process when I look at these, because a lot of these apps aren't traditional kind of, web applications where people are just going to be able to go, you know, fire up burp or some sort of scanner, go hit an application and, and go to town. It's going to take some actual, like, if you want to do dynamic testing of LibreOffice, right? Like you're going to have to get to know what fuzzing is really like, right? You know, building a document that actually does fuzz testing or does uh, fuzzing of the domain space, right? Like those, those things that those topics that Stefan always talks about of, as, you know, what testing looks like from, um, yeah, from a fuzz perspective, from a full domain perspective, from, 
Okay, there's all these different file inputs, these different APIs that are accessible. If you send someone a file, is there a way to, you know, to use Redamsa or one of these other you know, tools to actually test out test out those APIs? It's a, it's a harder prospect than it is on some of the other bug bounty programs that we've looked at. Um, but they are using Integrity, the Integrity Bug Bounty platform for that. Right? Like if you look at the, what are the five different... Yeah. Yep. The, the five different tools that they've called out. I, I, I already mentioned LibreOffice. Mastodon, Odoo, CryptPad, Leos. And yeah, I'm probably butchering every single abbreviation <laughs> there, but whatever. Or acronym, whatever. Yeah, there could be some interesting um, bugs in those. Like, like the open source social network, that's going to be different, right? Like there's going to be some... Yeah, I, that one's probably more traditional as far as the bug bounty programs go. Um, CryptPad, Leo, wow. Drafting I'm trying to read in between the lines here with, so they have the bullet points. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt and skip yeah, around. No, yeah, yeah, you're they fine. Have this, they have these bullet points here about like, what like, what are they trying to accomplish with this um, you know, uh -huh. program? And then these five things is the first kind of sort of inclusion there. But like one of the bullet points is develop skills and recruiting expertise. And I'm trying to figure out like, are they, what is it like? How, how is this accomplishing? Like, I'm not, I'm not skeptical. I, I'm actually like com completely like, uh, I really, I'm trying to wrap my mind around. Is this mean, does this mean like recruiting bounty researchers to, and recruiting expert develop skills and recruiting expertise. Does that mean just recruit experts that are working on the, the, the program or are they talking about getting experts in recruiting? <laughs> like I'm actually a little confused there. <laughs> I would imagine it's recruiting security expertise to yeah. focus on this. I, I think. I imagine I that's what it is. Right. Cause they, yeah. I, I am tired, so but when I read that, I was like, "That's the only one there." And I'm like, "Huh, I don't understand it." Uh, enable and create innovation within with open source labs. Increase outreach to communities. Integrate open source and internal IT governance. Governance ensure OSS security. Yeah. First concrete action of the latest OSS strategy for 2020 through 2023. Access a facilitator for activities outlined in the strategy. Uh, cool. Yeah. I, yeah. That, I mean, that's an interesting one, right? Like I, I, I mean, I, I like the fact that there's like government is getting involved with, um, securing of open source applications, right? Like I, I know there's been, you know, arms in the U S that have done this as well. Um, but typically they're more focused on their own presence than they are on some of the open source projects or open source. Um, yeah programs applications that they use um so it'll be interesting to see how well this does right um i mean the funding's not huge right it's what 200k like or 200,000 euros um but depending on what's actually found it's gonna it's gonna uplift those projects across the board and should make things more secure so hmm. I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about government getting involved in that, right? And funding that sort of research? Well, I almost got arrested for giving the government bugs before. So that's pretty amazing <laughs> that they're now not being like now that. Uh, of course, that was the US government. Um, you know, not the yes. European governments, but uh, my trust in governments is not high to begin with. So um, I think it's cool that they're taking on this um, perspective. I think that this is okay, be, well, or this is easier to facilitate a program that has included these things because they're not. So, for instance, let me juxtapose that against the Pentagon's bug bounty program, which is like their live prod stuff in scope. Uh -huh. Whereas this is like, here are some applications that are open source. They're not things we're running, you know, in, sen in the sense of here's a URL that you can browse to, right? And you can just like own our infrastructure if you find an, an issue. This is more uh, more structured, uh, safer. I think this is a safe dipping of the toes into it. 
where it gets interesting is when you start to put things into scope that are running in production with assets listed in scope that people can just scan, run things against. Um, because that's then when you see friction and that's when you see the test of how resilient a bounty program really is. Um, whereas something like this is more low risk, I would say. Uh, so those are my thoughts on that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 like I always go back and forth because we've seen, I don't know, like putting on my tin tinfoil hat, right? Like the, the NSA getting involved with the DES algorithm early on and the fact that they kind of backdoored that, right? Like, you know, the, the, there's government um, agencies yeah. that definitely don't want, uh, I, yeah, there was, there was huge fights back in the early 2000s about encryption, right? And the fact that we had these like really great encryption protocols like AES and um, other things that, yeah, basically like the elliptical curve algorithms and all of that, that the, you know, the U.S. government didn't allow for export because they didn't want other countries to have them. Right. Like, yeah. So, yeah, it, it kind of goes back and forth for me. Right. Like, I, you know, at times I put on my tinfoil hat and I'm like, Ugh, I don't know. Right. But like if it secures, if it makes it more secure for everyone and gives people privacy. Right. Like then I'm like, all right, that's that feels like a better use of the. Yeah, of the talent, right? Than it is to, hey, we're going to suppress this technology because it makes our life more difficult because people can be private, right? Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm all for the most amount of eyes on, especially to your point, I've thought about that a lot, that like if I'm an open source developer and I'm building an encryption or hashing or even something that has hashing and encryption uh, inside of it, um, like, you know, some library, uh, and then somebody pipes up and wants to contribute, like that would immediately scare the crap out of me. And I, even if there's somebody who's well-known, I would like always be a little suspect of who they're working for, you know, and, and what nation state might be backing them just because if, uh, yeah, and I would be, I don't know, I would be very, um, I, I don't know. I'd be very cautious. And I've always thought about that. Like that's got to be a, a tough line to walk. So whenever you develop something like that and you have the whole world, basically who has the opportunity to look at that code, um, that feels pretty good. Uh, doesn't guarantee anything. I mean, we've seen 10 year old bugs sitting in code that presumably millions of people have looked at. And it's like, not discovered until one day it is and it becomes like a critical thing um so i don't i, I don't know where i was going with that but i don't know man it's something i've always been very paranoid and thought about is like man it's got to be really weird to develop those kind of things that have potential huge ramifications uh if someone introduces some sort of like backdoor weakness or something yeah purposefully well i I mean, we say that, but then like the, you, you look at software supply chain stuff and the, the, you know, how easy it is to insert, right? The, the post that we reviewed the last couple of weeks, um, how easy it is to insert malicious software, build a package and then change it up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and have all of these dependencies on it. And uh, we, we don't do, I, I'm sure there is somebody that's out there that's doing analysis of how many of those packages are getting vendored into government projects as well. Um, that's, and this is why I think you, both you and I target, you know, supply chain as one of the targets this next, this coming year, or the coming future is mm -hmm. it's an easier path in, um, right? Like if I take over an open source project that's, that's popular or make a post to it and there's only like, one set of eyes, one guy that's running it, and he pushes my my pull request. I introduce a backdoor that gets pushed out to five hundred thousand packages that are dependent upon it, right? Like that's an easier path in than hey, I'm targeting this public website that has all this scrutiny that we know all these pen testers have been against and the red teams have looked at, right? They, there's just the makeup of software is becoming a bigger target than anything else because it is an easier path in. So I can't, I, I don't stuff know I can't talk about publicly, either. but no, I'm, I'm going to yeah. add on to what you're saying because there's stuff I can't, 
there's some stuff I can't really talk about publicly, but I, I can say that, that we at GitHub have acknowledged that we are, you know, whether intentional or not, have become a pretty um, significant part of the package distribution for certain languages. Um, and with that, that realization comes some ideas about um, how to further enhance protections around some of those things. And so when the time is right, um, you know, and I can talk about it, um, uh, we will, you know, definitely will. And probably the, you know, my guess is we'll eventually release some blog post or something around it. So we'll, when that happens, we'll definitely yeah. share. But um, what you talked about is prescient. It's uh, relevant. Well, so I mean, and there was that news this week as well. I can't find, uh, there's the article, but what Google and Microsoft announced, what, $5 million to the open source security foundation, right? The, that, specifically that Alpha Omega project that is supposed to improve global, you know, supply chain security, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which which is super interesting to me as well. I don't, I don't know, like maybe that's something that you can't talk about, but it's because um, I don't know how, how much you get involved with it. Um, but like there are efforts in play and there's projects that people have spun up to actually to take care of some of that, or at least to start looking into it, to do further research into it, which is a, you know, it, yeah. I, I mean, it's good to see. Um, yeah. But it's a, I don't know. I like, if somebody wants to really do some research, that's, that, that's the place that you, we're going to see more and more focus. That's, I, I guess that's where I'm going with it from tinfoil yeah, hat this is to something... like, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is something being, yes. The answer is yes. And 42. Yes. <laughs> That's all I can say. But yes. So wink if you need help, Ken, right? Like, yeah, blink twice. <laughs> no, yeah. the open SSF bit there. Yeah. So that's all. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nods. Nods. <laughs> Definitely been discussed oh, for sure. Let's see. Here's the, um, I mean, there's an article here. I'll post it up there too. If people want to read it, right? The venture beat about how they've started to throw some more money at it. Um, cool. Um, good. All right. So let's see. That's integrity. That's software supply chain. Oh, let's talk IDOR, right? Before we forget about it. Ah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so insecure direct object reference. This is the bug that I think, um, I mean, I, like, honestly, like, I, you know, my, my whole, like, we run a consulting business, we find this all the time, right? Like, it's probably in 90% of the applications that we look at in some form or another. Um, insecure direct object reference, it's uh, like, it's an authorization issue. Uh, if someone can change the ID, and this, again, this is not for you, Ken, right? Like, but uh, the listeners, if someone can change an ID parameter and see somebody else's data, uh, that's, you know, that's a bad thing. Depending on the application, it may or may not be a vulnerability, right? It's just the ability to change that object reference and see something else. So, but we do see it used as security by obscurity a lot of times, you know? Hey, if I'm not going to click on a link and change the value from of one to two, yeah, uh, but it's very easy to do. So, so what, sure. what's the article? Right, he looked at 220 um, different bug reports. Mm -hmm. what is it? Yeah, did did a two so reviewed 220 uh, IDOR related reports from Hacker One. Um, one of the key takeaways in the first part of the article is that, you know, the assumption a lot of times is it's, you know, ID value or, or something along those lines. Um, well, I don't know if that's an assumption. This is, this is what they're saying is that they assume the assumption is with most people that the view, their view of IDOR is, uh, narrow is what they actually say. Meaning, um, you know, maybe it's like in the URL, there's an ID or just a numeric value and you maybe sequentially iterate through that. And uh, that's insecure direct object reference. Um, I don't know if that's true for 
if that view is actually, I think that view is not necessarily held by everyone. I could see how if you're, especially if you live in the bug bounty world, and especially if you're in your first, like, I don't know, three to five years of AppSec, for sure, like that's, that's probably, you know, a, a view that you would, you, you might have, but, uh, and they talk, this author talks about it. Um, the reality is that it, it's, it's present everywhere. And just to sort of, um, you know, give people an idea of what truly insecure direct object reference is. It's like, if you're pulling, it doesn't matter if you're pulling some, it's, it's a resource that you can directly call for, right? So it doesn't matter if it's a lookup in your database where it's like, Hey, find some, I don't know, find an invoice by this, uh, name or this value, an ID, a name, whatever it might be. Um, look that up and, you know, whatever it's user input that it's taking to do that lookup. The user can obviously, if it's not, there's no authorization check and at no point does anyone or any of the code have some sort of protection to say, Hey, here's the thing you're looking for. Uh, you're requesting of our application, but Hey, like you don't have permissions. Um, so if that breakdown occurs and there's no authorization check there, then you can just directly call for the resource. I think that's pretty easy to, 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 to grab and to understand where it gets pretty nuanced. And this is where I want to drive a little bit further into this report and where it gets a little interesting is they did a breakdown of <clears throat> where is it commonly found, right? The number one place yep. is inside of REST APIs at 31.8% of these reports were in the uh, RESTful API section. So this is where I think it gets interesting because the vanilla case is like doing um, user.find, you know, ID equals some user input. The user input changes that number from one to two or three, four, whatever. And then it returns a different user object and voila, you got some MIDOR. That's oftentimes in especially um, like complicated apps that have RESTful APIs. Um, I've found in my experience, it's not always that simple. A lot of times, um, again, and just in my experience, there's uh, typically multiple, and especially true of languages like Ruby or Python, where um, there's a bit of abstraction at times. Um, there can be a, uh, a breakdown. There might be four or five places that need to get things right in order for um, authorization to correctly occur. So it's not necessarily as simple as, just a lookup, like I can give you a case of a report recently we got through our bounty program and looking at it, it took a couple of us really squinting our eyes to, to realize how it actually occurred. It was the most nuanced thing ever. And it definitely wasn't some simple, like fine by whatever it was, you know, here's some conditionals and here's some assumptions about where access control happened and, and things like that. So that's a bit abstract without being able to show code, but, um, that's the part that I found interesting is that uh, RESTful APIs are the number one culprit. And I can see why, because RESTful APIs typically have a bit of abstraction, have a bit of, you know, maybe controllers or logic that they're inheriting from, methods they're overwriting, helpers they're including, libraries they're including. And all of that abstraction can lead to um, not a simple and easy vanilla IDOR, but rather one that's a little bit more complicated. Define. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, Ken, right? Like the more complex authorization matrix an application has, the more likely it is to have IDOR vulnerabilities because it, it, it introduces all of those edge cases where it's like, okay, you are, you know, like it, it's not just you have a user and an administrator. It's you've got a user with some administrative privileges how do those privileges apply to each of those different endpoints? And when we forget that, you know, there is this one other RESTful API over here that can return user data in certain situations, but we're not checking to make sure that this user is not an administrator. We're only looking at a specific privilege. Now we're returning back the password hash or something like that, right? Like it's, it, it becomes a, an exercise in how good are our unit tests for author <laughs> authorization matrix over are we actually doing authorization checks right yeah. um, and i think that's why we find it in every in almost every single application that we test is 
that those authorization matrix matrices get so complex that no one person can keep that in their head. Um, so it's easy enough to yeah, make sure that, Hey, I can get access to those resources when I'm doing my functional testing, but I'm not doing the inverse case. And it's hard to know what those inverse cases should look like. Yeah. Like I, I will give you a concrete, I mean, you know, take GitHub, for example, we've got enterprises and enterprises can own multiple orgs and orgs can have multiple types of teams, users, and those users and teams can have various roles. And those roles can be at an org level, a user level, a repo level. And then you start factoring in GitHub apps, OAuth apps, um, you know, personal access tokens, what version of the personal access tokens. And so you get to, you get this now, now, you know, when you get a token, it's like, where did the token originate from? Okay. Now who installed that? Let's say the tokens for, I don't know, is it a server to server or a user to server flow? Because for GitHub apps, there's both. There's there's both user to server flows and server to server flows, and they have different permission sets and different expectations. So then you say, okay, well, we know what this is for now. Cool. That's we'll say a user to server token. Cool. So is this GitHub app installed uh, for with the right permissions by the right user for the right resource? Okay, cool. Now do those. Now that we've aligned all of that, now for that resource that you're calling for, what are the permission schemas look like now that we've identified all the other factors? Cool. So then, you know, you get into these situations where it's like, well, that's, you know, it it seems like an easy, an easy, like, you know, like you said, like, do you have admin rights? But when you really break it down, it becomes a, holy crap, there's a lot of places where a lot of things have to be checked. Now, to your point, the best way, and one of the ways that we, uh, tackle this problem is through a very, very robust and somewhat complex, just given the nature of what it does, testing framework, authorization specific testing framework that you can literally just plug into an endpoint. So if you're adding a new RESTful endpoint, you can put in, um, you can call on this, uh, it's kind of like a a DSL, you know, like a, a language in and of its own. And you can call on that DSL to then like say, Hey, um, uh, has permissions for this and is an integrator of that and has been an installation or is an installation of this. And you can have all these, like this really robust framework helps you just basically make it very easy to, to, to test your assumptions, um, both authorization, negative and positive test cases against those uh, endpoints that you add. Yeah. Well, and this is, I, I mean, honestly, like, so in the secure code review course, right, when we talk about authorization uh, functions and the ability to identify what's doing the authorization for any endpoint, um, this is the reason that we talk about it is because it is so complex. I, I mean, one of the one of my favorite vulner, like IDOR vulnerabilities that I identified was actually through source code review in a in an application typical to or similar to what you're doing at GitHub, where there was organizations, multiple organizations in the same environment. Um, They all had administrators and then users underneath that. Um, But we found like in the, in the actual like um, editing of uh, an organization's like applications that were in there, that as long as you were an administrator of an organization like you could edit an application. You couldn't actually see the application, but you can make changes to it because on the update you know, of that application, it was only checking whether or not you had organ, like you had admin privileges, not admin privileges on that application in that organization, right? Like it was basically mm-hmm. they missed one and that was it. They just basically missed putting in you know, hey, I need to specify the organization in here as well. And that was it. Um, that one was fairly easy to, to to fix. But finding it, on the other hand, unless you've got a framework like you're talking about where you've built that out, you would never actually see it because you would go and see, and, you know, as a tester, if I'm testing a, a RESTful API dynamically, most of the time I'm going to hit that Git endpoint I can't look up the application. I'm probably not going to push that update to see if I can change someone else's ID, especially when those IDs have to be some sort of good value or they're hard to discover, right? Like there's there's other things. And I think that's what the article goes into there 
is those edge cases is where you can make a lot of money as a bug bounty researcher because they are so difficult to find. And they take, it's not just changing one to two, it's changing GUID values. It's testing all these different endpoints. It's actually putting in the time to discover where those exist. Yeah, most of our people that get paid out for high-end bounties, they've spent a lot of time understanding our uh, our authorization. I'm honestly, better than some of, some of the people that work for us, you know. Uh, yeah, not on the security. Well, I don't get. Anyway, like just saying, like there are people that definitely understand our authorization framework better than um, even possibly newer folks to to GitHub for sure. So, um, yeah. uh, you know, they they have to invest a lot of time, is what I'm trying to say. But um, this article was, I think, interesting um, just because, like, kind of you know identified like where these things are happening, and and I I kind of smile when I saw the restful aspect of that because I was like that really aligns well with where I would expect it to, to occur, you know? Um, yep. Anyways, it's interesting. Um, I think it's a fun read. It doesn't take long to consume. It's a few minute read, honestly, um, but it's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, so success in finding IDOR. So one of the bullet points is success in finding IDORs sometimes comes from creative ways. Uh, or yes, success of... Discovering IDORs comes from finding those in creative ways is what I'm trying to say, or what they was yeah. me summarizing what they're saying. Um, and that, that can be true because it's oftentimes not just changing the, the number around. So yeah, um, just anyways, because you get, that, that's a fun yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, it is. Just, just because you get a response that says user not authorized to see this resource doesn't mean that there's not insecure. Yeah. There's not IDOR. That's, that's the, that's what your takeaway should be, especially if you're a researcher or you're doing penetration testing or you're looking at, at, at API like from a source code perspective, right? Um, because we find it's it's always there at some level. It's always there. My favorite IDOR ever is still David Filio's Rot Thirteen Discovery. Um, yeah, he, and I think I've talked about this before on the maybe once on the podcast before, but screw it, I'll say it again. It was the coolest thing ever. Uh, I think it was. I forget who. Uh, it wasn't David Filio who. Originally, I don't think it was him who actually um, had found that the, there was like this uh, uh, for a, for PDFs. There was like this um, value that that looked like gobbledygook, but the the dot PDF part of it was always the same. But it was like rot thirteen. So somebody was like, "What is it? Why is this never changed? Like, clearly, there's got to be if the dot this dot extension never changes. Like, what? Because we, you know, we didn't have source code. It was just black box. That's how we pen tested back then." 12 yep. years ago or whatever it was 13 years ago. Um, so yeah. So we, anyways, like they're like, this is clearly it's that part's not changing. So there's gotta be some, an algorithm here. And, and David, David Philly, I was like, wait, I'm pretty sure this is route 13. Uh, and for those that are not familiar, route 13 is just like a, a very basic cipher. You just rotate that through the alphabet, 13 characters. And that's how you like obfuscate the each, letter so like then they just like started converting um all once they figured out the name of the pdf file and like the the general naming convention they just generated with rot 13 a bunch of things through into burp and then boom you got all your downloads for all the pdfs that you shouldn't have that was probably the most fun like fun. it just made me laugh like someone was actually using rot 13 to prevent idor balls. <laughs> like that was great that was amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, we may need to build that into a ctf or something but yeah Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, sweet. I, I know there was another, like, we wanted to get into pen testing stories. Maybe we'll do that next week, Ken. Um, there was yeah, a Twitter thread. We'll, we'll keep that. that in our back back pocket. Um, we have Dude, I've got like door ones and other things. Three, and one of them is a physical pen test that I want to talk about. So, yeah, like, we should dedicate. Yeah. I think next week I want to, we have a couple guests that we might have on. Uh, well, we'll, we'll find out. If we, if we don't have guests on next week, for scheduling we should dedicate a significant amount of time to that because it's fun it's fun to talk about pen yeah. test stories and all the horrible yes, stuff we've is. found over the years <laughs> it, it, it's all been so secure like we don't have any stories at all that's that's the yeah but no yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll dedicate an episode to that in the in the near future also watch out for um after dark episodes uh, there will be another one upcoming you know i I want to do it again pretty soon. I know Ken does as well. 
Um, yep. And if you have recommendations or you want us to look at something, let us know. We may pick one of those from the European Commission, right, and go after that. Uh, we'll, but we're we're talking about it. That uh, one I think looked interesting. If that's the CRM one, I can't remember, but. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that Udu or even Mastodon looks interesting. I think there's been more eyes on Mastodon too. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at it. Jump into our Slack channel, join the conversation. Thank you for your support and listening to us, right? I, Ken and I, this is a labor of love. Like we just, we like to chat. So um, join the conversation. Uh, let us know if there's something that you want us to, to change. There's new uh, swag that's going to be coming pretty soon too. So yeah, join us in Omaha. I don't know. I don't know what else. Uh, just let's just wrap it up, Ken. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, and we're going to share some fun stories if we don't have guests on, which I we'll find out. But yeah, um, thanks. Cool. All right, thanks, everybody. Have a good week.